look at this passage tonight and help us to get through it uh, at, at a good pace, Father, and to be able to uh, get to all the points that we want to look at tonight and uh, help us to just be able to know uh, that we've met with you tonight, be able to leave and, and know this passage better and be able to get the truth and glean the truths out of it. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there. In Acts chapter number 19, and this is one of the most exciting chapters, I think, uh, in the book of Acts, or, or just, just the story is very exciting. If you look down at verse number 28, if you remember, uh, Paul is in Ephesus. That's where we started last week, the first seven uh, verses. He, he got to Ephesus, he left Corinth, and now he's in the city of Ephesus. And if you look at verse number 28, the Bible says, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. In the uh, city of Ephesus, they worshipped the goddess. Uh, and by the way, you'll notice there that's a small g goddess. That's not a big G, a capital G there, because it's not God of the Bible. It's a small g, false god, Diana of the Ephesians. Look at verse 29. And the whole city, I want you to notice this, the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions. So these two men are Paul's companions in travel. These are two men that accompany Paul as they travel. They're traveling with Paul. They're Paul's friends. These people, they grab these two men, Paul's companions, and they rush with one accord into the theater. The whole city is confused. The whole city is in an uproar. The Bible uses the word uproar towards the end of this chapter. And the whole city comes together and they grab Paul's two friends, Paul's companions, and they run into uh, the theater. Look at verse 30. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people. So Paul says, you know, this is all happening because of Paul. And Paul wants to go into the theater to try to make things right and help his friend. And when Paul would have entered into the, pe- into the theater, uh, in, in unto the people, I'm sorry, the disciples suffered him not. The word suffered there means allowed. The disciples did not allow him to go into the theater. Look at verse 31. And certain of the chief of Asia, so these are rulers of that uh, area there of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So his, the disciples, the Christians there, and also the leaders of Asia, who are Paul's friends, they say, Paul, do not go into the theater. It's not safe for you to go into the theater. Look at verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not whereof they were come together. So this group of people, they come together. They, half of them don't even know why they're there. Okay, This is just a mob, it's just a riot, and I've heard this say before, and I think it's true. A person, an individual, is very smart, but people as a whole are very dumb. And you know, if that offends you, I'm sorry, but it's true. You know, oftentimes you get groups of people together and they make very bad decisions, you know. People end up killing and rioting, turning over cars and, and breaking into because of a basketball game. Because their team, you know, these, these people that, that follow these, their team lost the Super Bowl, so they riot. But then their team won the Super Bowl, so they write. Their team lost the championship, so they write. The team won the Super Bowl. You know, it's just the same thing everywhere. South America with all the soccer games, the same thing. You know, it's just this group is writing. And it's a big deal. It's the whole city. Could you imagine if the city of Sacramento, if the entire city was just in a riot, was just in a confusion because of one man? 
Could you imagine if the whole city just came together? And obviously, Ephesus, you know, these ancient cities were a lot smaller than our cities are today because of our technology. We understand that. But could you imagine if just a whole mob of Natomas just came together, grabbed two people, you know, two Christians that were associated with this preacher that came into town, and they just walk, you know, just go into Arco Arena. And they're just having this huge riot. And the Bible says that the more part knew not, wherefore they were come together. So most of them, and you can always find them, most of them didn't even know why they were there. They were just, hey, you guys are fighting about something, you guys are mad about something, let's go. Look at verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. So this guy, you know, he's, he would have like tried to set them straight. But when they knew, verse 34, but when they knew that he was a Jew... And they associated him with Paul because he was a Jew. All with one voice about the space of two hours. So this huge mob for two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that just for two hours? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is this mob. This entire city just coming together in a big riot and a big, you know, just confusion coming together against Paul. They can't find Paul. They take two of his companions. They run into the theater. They're just screaming. They're just yelling. They're just gay. They're just having a riot. Quite a scene, isn't it? And you got to ask this question, well, how did we get to this scene? Where an entire city, a prominent city in the Bible, the city of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. How did they get to this place? And here's what you understand. It all started two years and three months ago, or a little bit over two years and three months, because the Bible tells us that Paul was uh, there for a season, for two years, for three months, so we know that he was there for longer. And two, two years, three months, or a little bit over that, uh, Paul walked in to the city of Ephesus and began to do certain things in that city that brought this huge uproar about that brought this huge contention about. Could you imagine if one Christian had such an effect on the city of Sacramento that the entire city would go into a riot, into a mob, into a huge uproar like this? Could you imagine that? That's what Paul did. Say, how do you do that? Well, let, let's start at the beginning. Go there in Acts chapter number 19. We're not going to deal with the first seven verses because we dealt with that last week and we know that Paul, first thing he did when he got to Ephesus was he converted seven unsaved disciples. But if you look at verse number three, uh, verse number eight, I'd like you to see point number one is this, Paul's pattern. Paul's pattern. Look at verse number eight. The Bible says, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. He spent his first three months in the synagogue. You say, what was he doing in the synagogue? Was he there to worship? Was he there because he was part of the Jews' religion? No, look what he did. He went to the synagogue and spake boldly. Alright, make note of these words. Spake boldly for the space of three months. Here's what he was doing. Disputing and persuading, uh, persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he went into the synagogue to speak boldly. And here's the idea he thought. These people are wrong. Their religion is wrong. And I'm going to dispute with them. And I'm going to persuade them concerning the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've noticed this from Paul. But have you noticed that everywhere he goes he does the same thing? Paul just has the same pattern. Everywhere he goes, he does the same thing. Go with me, let's do this quickly. Go with me to Acts chapter number 9. I mean, from the moment that Paul got saved, if you look at Acts chapter number 9, we find 
In Acts 9, the conversion of Paul, when Paul got saved, uh, as he was traveling down the road of Damascus, remember Jesus Christ appeared to him, and then later on, when he actually went into the city of Damascus, uh, after he'd been blind there, uh, Ananias came and got him saved, the soul winner came and got him saved. And in Acts 9, look at verse number 19. Look at the, the very... Uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 19. The first thing that Paul does after he gets saved. The Bible says, And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul, at this point he's still named Saul, certain days of the disciples which were at Damascus, look at verse 20, and straightway, that word straightway means immediately, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So you notice, Paul just got saved. The first, Saul just got saved. The first thing he's doing, he's preaching Christ in the synagogues. Look at Acts 13. Look at verse 5. Acts 13, look at verse 5. Acts 13, 5, we find Paul, or actually he's still Saul, he's in the conversion of becoming Saul. Remember the first verse of, of, uh, of chapter 13, there he's still and Saul. Remember we went through that? He went from and Saul and he ended up being Paul there at the end of the chapter. But uh, and Saul, look at verse 5, they go into their missionary journey. What's the first thing they do? Look at verse 5. And when they were in Salamis, they preached the word of God, look what it says, in the synagogues of the Jews, that they had also John to their minister. So he goes on his missionary journey, still Saul, and he's preaching in the synagogue. Look at verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed in, from Perga, see if I got the right verse here, yeah, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue. Notice, they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. Look at Acts 14, look at verse 1. Acts 14, look at verse 1. We find Paul in a different city. Acts 14.1 And it came to pass in Iconium, that's a different city, that they went both together into the synagogue, talking about Paul and Barnabas. They went to the synagogue of, of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. You're, you're starting to see Paul's pattern? Everywhere he goes, he's preaching the gospel. Everywhere he goes, he's going, he goes to the synagogue because he has a, a heart or he has a, a burden for the Jews there because he's a Jew and he was in that religion. And he go, everywhere he goes, he goes to the synagogue first. To, why? Because he's worshiping with them? No, because he's trying to get them saved. He's disputing. He's speaking boldly. He's preaching the gospel. Look at uh, Acts 17. Look at Acts 17, look at verse 1. Acts 17, 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, look what it says, as his manner was. What does that mean? I mean, this is what he did, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbaths they reasoned. Do you notice that word? He reasoned. That's what it says he did in Acts 19. He reasoned with them. Out of the scriptures. Because in Acts 19 it said he was disputing and convincing them. Drop down to verse number 10 in the same chapter. Acts 17, look at verse 10. Look what it says. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. So now they're in Berea. Who coming hither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So what do they do when they get to Berea? They go to the synagogue. What do you think they're doing there? Preaching. Look at verse 16 of the same chapter. Look at verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in them when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore disputed, notice that word, does the same thing everywhere it goes, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the markets daily, make note of that word, daily with them that met with him. 
Look at Acts 18. Look at verse 1. Acts 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So now he's in Corinth. Drop down to verse 4. Look what it says. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Say, Pastor Jimenez, why are you showing us this? I'm showing you all this because I'd like you to see something. Paul had a great ministry. Paul did many wonderful things. Paul had a great influence. But Paul had a great ministry. Here's why. One of the secrets of Paul was this. He had a pattern to his life. Paul did not live his life every day doing something different. Every day doing some, you know, today I'm doing this, tomorrow I'm doing that, today I'm in church, tomorrow, today I'm a Baptist, tomorrow I'm a Jehovah's Witness, tomorrow maybe try Catholicism. That's not how Paul lived. Every day he did the same thing, he had the same pattern, he had the same routine. He went everywhere he goes. And sometimes people look at our church and they'll say, Pastor Man, your church is so repetitive. Same thing, so winning, King James Bible, salvation by grace through faith, you know, a holy living, righteous living, separation, all these things. They'll say, you're, and by the way, you know, people say, you're, 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 you know, you just got this one issue, but they'll name like 15 issues they have a problem with, you know what I mean? But see, here's the thing, if you're going to make an impact in somebody's life, you're going to have to develop a pattern. And by the way, Paul didn't come up with this, go with me real quickly to Luke chapter number 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right before the book of John, Luke chapter number 4. Let me show you where Paul got this idea from. Look what it says, Luke chapter number 4, look at verse number 16. Luke chapter number 4, look at verse 16, look what it says. And he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up, and look what it says about Jesus. And as his custom was. Isn't that very similar to what I said about Paul, as his manner was? As his custom was, look what it says about Jesus, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus had a custom. Jesus had a routine. Jesus had a pattern. And Paul decided, if I'm going to do something for the cause of Christ, I might want to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ and put myself in a pattern, in a routine, so I can accomplish something. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I don't understand what you're talking about. Let, let, me, let me bring it down practically to you. Okay? Let's just talk about Bible reading. Let's say you decided, I'm going to read... Even if you decide, I'm going to read small amounts of the Bible, but I'm going to establish a pattern of doing it every day. Okay? So I'm going to read for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 3 to 4 chapters a day. That's it. But I'm going to do it every day. Well, if you have that pattern, that consistent, guess what? 15 minutes of Bible reading every day, you'll read your Bible cover to cover in one year. 15 minutes. If you could just develop the character to shut the TV off for 15 minutes a day. You say, I don't read very fast. 20 minutes. 25 minutes. 3 to 4 chapters a day. You can read your Bible entirely cover to cover. But instead, here's what Christians do. Here's what most Christians do. They don't establish a pattern of reading their Bible every day. But whenever they're feeling really spiritual or maybe when they're going through some struggle in their life, you know, ups and downs, they'll sit down and they'll read like an entire, you know, they'll read like 50 psalms. And, you know, psalms aren't that very long. Or they'll read like the entire book of Revelation in one sitting. But here's the thing. How will you accomplish more in your life? 20 years of 15 to 20 minutes a day of Bible reading? You'll read the Bible cover to cover 20 times in your lifetime. But just reading an entire book every six months 
Well, that's a big sacrifice. Yeah, but are you accomplishing the same? You see what I'm saying? A, a life with discipline and pattern will accomplish a lot. Let's talk about, you know, let's just use this as an example. Let's talk about giving. Sometimes people, people have this attitude. I don't tithe. You know, I'm not going to give 10% because I don't make that much money. It's not that much. But here's what they do. Every once in a while, they'll just throw in a big lump of, of money. But think about this. Who does more for the cause of Christ? Someone who just faithfully puts in their $80 every week, you know, or whatever, $50 every week in the offering plate, or somebody who once a year throws down $1,000. Oh, they had a big sacrifice. That's really impressive. But see, the person who just consistently gives, even if it's a small amount, consistently gives their tithe, has a pattern of giving their tithe, over a period of a lifetime will accomplish a lot more than that person who just throws down once a year, $1,000. You will accomplish more. And Paul figured out in his life, if I'm going to have a life that's going to accomplish something for the cause of Christ, I must develop a pattern in my life. And he didn't have this idea. He didn't walk into Ephesus and think, I wonder what I'm going to do today. He already had established his mind. When I walk into Ephesus, first thing I'm going to do is I'm walk in that synagogue and preach the gospel. Because that's what I do. And here's the thing. You want, to th- you want to do something? You want to impact this community? Establish a pattern. Just decide, hey, you know what? Every Saturday, I'm a soul winner. You say, well, I can only go on Saturday for a couple hours. You know, but you'll accomplish more if you just go two hours once a week for a lifetime than just, well, one day I'm just going to go for nine hours or something like that. Establish a pattern in your life. Paul established a pattern in his life and he was able to accomplish so much. He was able to put on an entire city in a, an uproar because a man walked into town I love that uh, that uh, quote we had in the bulletin there um, where was it character comes by repetition of right until right is done subconsciously that was Paul's life Repet- character comes by repetition of right until right is done subconsciously he just said I'm going to do the same thing every day I'm going to wake up every day I'm going to read my Bible every day I'm going to pray every day I'm going to memorize the Bible every day I'm going to go soul winning every day I'm going to do the right thing every day much, Pastor Jimenez. You're not accomplishing much. Look at this service. It's not very full. It's not... But here's the thing. We do the same thing. I'm not here for a week. I'm not here for a year. I'm planning on being here for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. You say, you keep doing this for 50 years. Hey, we will accomplish something if we establish a pattern. If we have discipline. If we maybe build some character. There's an attack on character. In our nation today. I said number one. Look at Paul's pattern. Number two. I'd like you to look at Paul's power. Look at Paul's power. Look at verse 11. The Bible says this. And God wrought. Make note of this word. Special miracles. By the hands of Paul. Now isn't a miracle already special? Why do you think God would say special miracles? Here's why he said special miracles. Because the miracle in and of itself was special, but the fact that God was doing it through Paul was special. Here's why. God only gave certain people in the Bible the power to perform miracles. Not everybody could do it. It was a special thing that God gave the Apostle Paul because he was an Apostle. Bible says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. You know, you say, Pastor Jimenez, you know, you could get on TV, and you could take your tie off, 
and you could sneeze on it, and then you could sell it. You know, I, I remember when I used to watch TV when I was a kid, I'd watch these Pentecostals on TV, and they'd, they'd have this handkerchief, and they'd blow their nose, they'd be like, for $29.99, you can, you know, send in an offering, and I'll send you this handkerchief, and it's going to heal you like their Apostle Paul. Here's what they missed when they were reading Acts 19. It's a special miracle. Not all of us can do it. I mean, I'll give you my tie, but it's not going to help you, you know. I'll give you my whatever. You want my handkerchief, you know. Uh, it's used, but it's not going to help you because God doesn't work that way with everybody. The key word there is special. It was a special, and God wrought a special miracle. There was something special about Paul. Do you remember Paul was the last person to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever seen Jesus Christ? You have? Because it's a special thing. Not everybody gets to do it. And by the way, if somebody ever tells you, I saw Jesus Christ, here's, here's what you got to ask them. Did he have long hair or short hair? Because if they said he had long hair, then just, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus did not have long hair. But anyway, I, can't, I can prove that to you from the Bible another time. But we said, number one, look at, uh, I want you to see Paul's pattern. Number two, I want you to see Paul's power. Number three, I want you to see Paul's purpose. Look at verse 21. Paul's purpose. Look what it says. After these things were ended, Paul, look what it says. Purposed in the Spirit. You know, I was telling my wife this earlier. I'm amazed how God does this. I did not plan this. I'm not smart enough to plan this. But this sermon out of Acts 19 fits so perfectly with what we were preaching on Sunday morning about examining yourself. Because what we were preaching on Sunday morning about examining yourself, we're able to see in Paul's life. The Bible says that Paul, in verse 21, purposed in his spirit. So I said, number one, first you say, how did Paul have such an impact on the city? Well, first of all, he had a pattern to his life. But secondly, he had a purpose to his life. Paul had a goal, and we looked at those uh, verses in, the, in Philippians, and so we're not going to go back to it. But when Paul said, you know, forgetting those things we are behind, looking forward unto those things we are before, I press toward the mark. And here we see, in action, Paul, he had a purpose, he had a goal, he had something he was trying to accomplish. Paul lived his life with purpose. He, that, that means this, he lived his life on purpose. He wasn't just going from day to day, just wandering and hoping things would turn out. Every day he did something. He did it with a purpose, with a goal in mind. He was trying to accomplish something, but not only that. Remember when we talked about, on Sunday morning, in the sermon exam, remember when we talked about what's the difference between a goal and a dream? Do you remember that? Uh, uh, they're both something you wish to attain in the future. A goal is something you'd like to attain in the future. A dream is something you'd like to attain in the future. What's the difference? Here's the difference. A goal has a plan designed to reach that goal. A dream, you're just kind of hoping you get to it. Look at verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, that's his goal. You say, how do you know it's a goal and not a dream? Here's how I know. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, "After I look what he says, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. You know what that tells me? Paul not only had a purpose, Paul had a plan. Paul said, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, and then after I do that, I must see Rome. Here's what Paul was saying. He said, I'm working in Ephesus, I've got my pattern in Ephesus, and I've got a plan to go to Rome. Guess what he was going to do when he got to Rome? The same thing he did in Ephesus. Same thing he did in Corinth. Same thing he did in Athens. Same thing he did everywhere. Why? Because he lived his life with a pattern, he lived his life with a purpose, and he lived his life with a plan. He didn't just wake up and say, well, I'm going to go to Ephesus and see what happens. Maybe a church will get established. Maybe people will get saved. No, no, no. He had a plan. He had a pattern. He had a purpose. He had special power. 
But I'd like you to see number four, Paul's impact. Paul's impact. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Look at Acts 19, look at verse 13. Acts 19, look at verse 13. I love this. The Bible says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, that's not good, vagabonds are not a good thing, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. So they, they took it upon themselves that we're going to go to these demon-possessed people and call upon them the name of the Lord Jesus. Now notice these people aren't even saved. Because notice what they say. Saying. This is what they were saying. We adjure thee, we adjure you by Jesus. Look what it says. This is funny to me. Whom Paul preached. So they're not even saying, you know, Jesus our Savior, or Jesus who we know. They, they don't even know who Jesus is. They're saying, we adjure you by Jesus. You know, the, the guy that Paul preaches? They don't even know who Jesus is. They just know Paul's preaching Jesus, and he seems to have a lot of power. So maybe we can tap into that. Here's the problem. Look at verse 14. And there were seven sons of, of Siva. So these are seven men. A Jew and a chief of the priests which did so. Seven men go to this demon-possessed person and they're going to call him out by the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Look what it says. We're looking at Paul's impact, right? The impact that Paul's made. Look at verse 15. I love this. And the evil spirit answered and said, because what did they say? They said, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's what they said. They mentioned Jesus. They mentioned Paul. They said, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Look at verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, this is what the evil spirit said. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? You know what he's saying? He said, I know Paul because I'm afraid of Paul. I know Jesus because I'm afraid of Jesus. But I don't know who you are. And notice what he does. Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them. So this man who was demon he leaped on them. Notice it's 7 versus 1. But he obviously has like superhuman strength because of the demon possess- that's possessing him. He leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So this e- demon possessed man grabs these 7 men, throws them around, rips their clothes up, beats them up, and they run out naked and wounded. Look what's happening. Look at verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Because they understood, hey, we can't mess around with this power. This demon said, hey, I know Jesus and I know Paul. But who are you? Why are you trying to boss me around? See, Paul was making an impact. Paul was making such an impact with his life of purpose, plan, and pattern that he was actually scaring demons. Could you believe that? Isn't that amazing? But you know that's what we're supposed to be doing. Go with me real quickly, Matthew 16. Look what it says, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, very first book in the New Testament, Matthew 16. Remember when Jesus was establishing His church? Look what He said, Matthew 16. Let's begin reading in verse 16. Look what he says. And Simon Peter answered. Remember Jesus asked him, Who do men say that I am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. Verse 15. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and make note of this phrase. This is what Jesus said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here's the thing. 
My whole life, I heard that verse preached, and I understood that verse to say this. That hell will not prevail against us. But that's not what it says. Look at what it says. Most people say, well, hell, the devil's trying to attack you, and hell's trying to attack you, and, and you've got the power of God, and it's not going to prevail against you. But here's the problem with that. In that analogy, which that's how I've heard it preached my entire life, hell is on the offensive, and we are on the defensive. But look at what it says. Jesus Christ said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, against the church. Okay, the idea that the gates mean the church. Who are the church? The congregation of believers, the Christian. That means we are on the offensive attacking the gates of hell. It's like an, an army, a military illustration there. He's saying you're attacking the city of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You know what that's saying? The Bible is saying this. Most Christians are wrong in their Christian life because we live our life in fear of the devil, in fear of hell, on the defensive, afraid that he's going to do something. And God says, no, you have to live a life that makes him run from you, makes him scared of you. The Bible says, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. That is a victorious Christian life. And that is a life that Paul lived. Because when Paul walked into town, the devils knew it. And when Paul walked into town, the demons knew it. And the Satan knew it. And when people try to come and say, hey, demon, come out of him. In the name of Jesus, you know whom Paul preaches? The demon says, well, I know who Jesus is. Remember every time that Jesus came before a devil? They always knew him. Remember the devils would tremble before Jesus? They would beg him not to torment them? And the devil said, well, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but I don't know who you are. And you know what my fear in life is? is That the devil doesn't know Verity Baptist Church. Can you want the devil to know Verity Baptist Church? Yeah. Because if he knows who we are, it's because we're giving him problems. If he knows who we are, it's because we're bothering him. See, the devil doesn't have to know the average Christian because the average Christian isn't doing anything. The average Christian isn't accomplishing anything. The average Christian is not turning a world upside down like it said about the apostles in the book of Acts. But Paul was charging the gates of hell. He was giving him a run for his money. He was saying, hey, I'm here in Ephesus. Something's going to change, devil. Something's going to change, demon. And I would wonder, would would, would the devil or the demons know who you are? See, they know you if you're a threat. If you're not a threat, they don't need to know you. We said, look at Paul's impact. We saw the impact that Paul was making in the spiritual world, but the impact that he was making in the spiritual world with the devils there was a direct, was was directly translated from Paul's impact in the physical world. You say, what was Paul doing in the physical world? Look at verse 18. Look what it says. And many that believed. That means a lot of people got saved. Why did they get saved? Because he's preaching the gospel. Uh, you know, we actually, let, let's go back because we didn't deal with this part. Look at, look at verse 9 very quickly. Let's look at it. Remember he went into the synagogue and he's preaching the gospel? Look at verse 9. And when divers were hardened, that means they, didn't, they were hardened. It's like that hard soil that didn't receive the word. Remember that? When divers were hardened and believed not, But spake evil of the way before the multitude, Paul departed. He departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily. 
Do you remember how we saw that before? He did this daily. He said, when did Paul go so away? Every day. When was Paul preaching the gospel? Every day. When should we be preaching the gospel? Every day. Hey, everywhere we go, you say, well, well I, I can only go, you know, to corporate soul winning on Saturday. That's fine. But all day long, you're dealing with unsaved people. All day long, you're dealing with an unsaved grocery clerk, an unsaved, you know, uh, I don't know, the drive-thru attendant, an unsaved, you know. Everywhere you go, you're working with, and I'm not telling you to be preaching the gospel while you're on the clock. Obviously, that's dishonest. But hey, all day long, we come in contact with unsaved people. We can preach the gospel every day. And by the grace of God, one day at Verity Baptist Church, we'll have a soul winning time every day. That's one of my goals. To have somebody out soul winning from our church every day. Because he was disputing daily. But I want you to notice this. He went to the synagogue. They didn't want to hear it. So he didn't waste his time. Remember how we talked about that before? He said, hey, your blood be upon you. And he moved on somewhere else where people could, would get saved. But I, I want to make a note of this because this is interesting. The Bible says at the end of verse 9, Disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. It's hard for me to not say Tyre. Uh, what, what's that? Dinosaur? Good night. I can't think of that. Dinosaur. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Actually, every time I read that, I think Tyrannosaurus Rex. But he was uh, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And let, let me say this just to kind of explain something to you about our church. Our church, we try with all of our might to follow the Bible in every way possible. And even though we're independent federal Baptists, and I'm proud of that, we don't just follow the traditions of all independent federal Baptists. Well, all independent federal Baptists do this, so we're going to do it too. No, we question everything. And you know, I grew up, independent federal Baptist, if you were an independent federal Baptist, you had a Christian school. In fact, I went to a Christian school. In fact, I graduated from a Christian school. From an independent federal Baptist church. But let me tell you something. Verity Baptist Church will never have a Christian school. You say, why is that? Here's, here's the one reason why we will never have a Christian school. The only time you find the word school mentioned in the Bible, you're looking at it. Acts 19.9. Look up the word school in the Bible, you'll find it one time. Acts 19.9. And by the way, it's not a good place. Because he's going there trying to get those people saved. Now here's the thing. If Christian school ministry is such a heavy ministry that all churches must have. People looked out at our church. You know, well, I mean, not really because we just started. But people often ask me, are you planning on starting a Christian school? No. Well, why not? Well, here's why. Show me one in the Bible. Show me a Christian school in the Bible. If you can show me a Christian school in the Bible, I'll start one. But you can't show me a Christian school in the Bible. There is no such thing as a Christian school in the Bible. You never find in the book of Acts, that's the history of the church, you never find them establishing Christian schools. You don't find Paul going into the ACE program and this program and the back of this and all that and, and becoming a principal. You don't find it. You know what you do find them? Preaching the gospel every day. See, I can show you in the Bible, I can show you multiple verses where it says, Mom and Dad, train your children. Mom and Dad, teach your children. I did it on Sunday morning. I won't take the time to do it again. I can show you multiple verses all throughout the Bible where it tells you, hey, it's your job, Mom. It's your job, Dad, to teach and instruct your children. But show me where it says it's part of the church ministry to instruct your children. If you can prove it to me, I'll do it. But I promise you, you won't find it. And by the way, you know, you say, well, where's public school in the Christian? Well, here's the closest thing I could find to public school. Here's the closest thing I could find to the government schooling your children in the Bible. Is Daniel being sent into captivity to be educated by the Babylonians. 
And he was in a sinful, wicked place, being taught sinful, wicked things, being sought, you know, being taught to worship a false god. And by the way, I also went to a public school. So don't think you know, you're picking up. I went to a public school, I went to a Christian school, my wife graduated from a public school, and let me tell you something. When I was a kid in public school, they were teaching us wicked and sinful things. They were teaching us things that are I, I went to it. I grew up in independent fundamental Baptist. Okay? Just just listen to this. I grew up in independent Roman Baptist in a church that preached the Bible just like this. And as a fifth grader, listen to me, a fifth grade boy, my fifth grade communist devil socialist teacher convinced me that gay marriage was okay. Now, please, as, you know, as, why does a fifth grader need to be taught by their dumb communist teacher? And that's what they mostly are, a bunch of communists, a bunch of socialist devils. It's, it's not, they're not educating children. They're brainwashing children. That's the truth. And I remember I went home and I told my dad, I told my dad, you know, this is what my teacher told me. Democrats are good. <laughs> you know, that's what they were all about. Bill Clinton, you know, it's that election year. Bill Clinton versus Bob Dole. And I, told, and I remember my dad had a fit. And he's like, son, let me tell you something. And he showed me the Bible. And, he showed, and then from that moment on, I saw the Bible and I'm like, queer or bad, Period. You know, but, but here's the thing. I had a dad who actually cared enough to ask me. You know, my parents wanted to see my homework. They wanted to know what classes I was doing. They, they asked me, what are you learning? You know, and, and whatever. But here's the thing. You can't find, I can't find in the Bible where it says, let the government educate your children. But I can show you verse after verse after verse after verse after verse where it says, mom and dad, it's your job to train. So you know what we do at our house? We train our kids. We educate our children. And we're never going to have a Christian school. Because you, you can't find it in the Bible. And if you're going to be a scriptural church, you've got to be able to justify it all from the scripture. So there's only one time you find the word school in the Bible. And it's uh, there in Acts 19. And by the way, there's only one time you find the word college in the Bible. And it's in the Old Testament. And it's actually a Bible college because of the College of the Prophets. But guess who's leading it? A woman. And it's a bad place. Because whenever a woman is leading spiritually, you know you're in a bad place. So, you know, just some food for thought there. But uh, go back to Acts uh, 19, look at verse 18, let's do this quickly. I want you to see the impact on the physical world that he made. Acts 19, verse 18. And you know, I, and honestly I can talk about this freely because I went to both a public school and a Christian school, graduated from a Christian school, I've been in both sides of uh, the spectrum, and just looking at it biblically, I, I mean, if you can show it to me, but I think it's going to be hard when there's only, it's only mentioned one time in the Bible. But look at Acts 19, look at verse 18. Acts 19, look at verse 18. And many believed, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So many people got saved, they believed, they came and they confessed. That's salvation, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart. But I want you to notice this. And showed their deeds. Remember what we were talking about on Sunday morning? Examining yourself and asking... Where have you grown matured spiritually? Look at verse 19. You say, well, how did they show their deeds? Look what they did. Verse 19. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found that 50,000 pieces of silver. Say, Pastor Minutes, what's going on here? Here's what's going on. They live in a society that worships that worships false gods and witchcraft. 
And these people got saved. And when they got saved, they actually changed. And, and, when they, and when they changed, I mean, they really changed. You know what they did? They got all their filthy books together about curious art. You know, what, what? They got all their Harry Potter books together. Let me just translate that for you. They got all their little, you know, vampire this and vampire that books together. And, and all their, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, whatever, things together. And they burnt all that witchcraft. And here's what you got to understand, okay? Today, you know... Today, churches, here's, here's how churches are taught to, to start churches. If you go to, to, you know, take like a course in how to start a church, okay? Here's, here's what they'll teach you. They'll teach you the seeker-sensitive style. Who's ever heard that term? Seeker-sensitive. Anybody ever heard that term? Brother Hudson, I'm sure you've heard that before. The seeker-sensitive, here's how they teach you to start a church today. They'll tell you, they'll say, okay, you're starting a church in Thomas, here's what you do, okay? You get all the addresses of, you know, the zip code, that you're going to be starting in or a few zip codes around and you get a little survey and um, in the survey you write people write down you know you ask people what's your favorite kind of music uh, what kind of preaching do you like loud preaching do you like soft preaching do you like uh, country do you like rap do you like rock you know uh, and what would you like to see in a church you send all these surveys out then they bring you all these sur- you know you, they, they send you know just get a little stamped envelope whatever they send you all these surveys back and then you review the surveys and you, and you put them in piles they say, okay, we got 100 surveys back, and 90% of people liked rock and roll. And, you know, five of them liked uh, rap. And order. And what you do is you go through and you find what most people in that community like. The type of music they like, the type of preaching style they like, the type of church they like. All those different things. And then you start that church. Exactly how they want it. To fit their culture. It's called seeker-sensitive church. You're, you're sensitive to those who you're trying to seek. Now, please ask me, is that what Paul was doing? In Ephesus? Wow, we just want to walk into Ephesus and we want to adapt to their culture. No, no, no. Paul walked into Ephesus and he said, Your culture is wrong. Your culture is bad. You need to change. You need to grow. And they brought all their books together and burnt them. They brought all their NIVs together and burnt them. They brought all their Harry Potters together and burnt them. And he wasn't trying to adapt to their culture. He was trying to change their culture. Because this world's culture is wrong. And when these people did this, I mean, this was their culture. This was their society. That's like, you know, and don't, you know, don't take this offensively, and I don't think anybody here will. But, that, you know, I grew up with Mexicans. If you, if Mexicans are like, you're Mexican, you're Catholic. Period. You never even go to church, you're just, you're just Catholic. By default. That's like if a Mexican said, you know, I'm just no longer Catholic. That's what these people were doing. They were rejecting their culture. They were rejecting it. It's like if you were born in Afghanistan and you just said, I'm converting to Christianity. I'm no longer Islam. That's what they were doing. But not only that, look what... It cost them a price, physically. They burned these books, and the Bible says, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That was a lot of money. And by the way, let me, let me tell you this. As you're getting right with God and getting rid of all your, you know... All Christians go through this. You know. You, you start off with your NIV. Then you learn about the King James. You got to get rid of your NIV. You say, what do I do with my NIV? Burn it! You start off with all your rock and roll CDs. And you start getting right with God and realize, ah, I probably shouldn't be listening to it. Don't put them on eBay. So somebody, so some other backslidden Christian can listen. Burn them! Break them! Destroy them! You start off with, you know, this is a, all, all women that I know, you know, since being a Funnel Baptist growing up, all, they start off with their pants 
Then they start getting right with God, start learning, you know, I shouldn't wear pants. So don't, don't fold up those pants and put them up in the closet. Well, just in case they get backslidden, you know, these pants are pretty expensive. No, burn those things. You know what these people were doing? They were taking these books. Well, let's put them in the garage in case we get back. They said, we're done with this garbage. We're done with this religion. We're changing and we're making it official. We're going to burn it. There's no going back. They said, we're burning the bridges. We're not going back. These people changed. Now, here's what, here's what you got to understand. You say, Pastor Jimenez, when you start impacting the society, here's when you impact the society. When you stop just getting people saved, I'm all for getting people saved. I want to get everybody saved. But when you stop getting people saved, and people's lives radically begin to change, get ready. Because you start stirring that pot, and people aren't going to like it. I know, I know I'm going a little over my time, but let me just show you. Look at verse 21. Say, what happens? These people had a huge bonfire, got rid of all this... You know, idolatry. What, what happened? Look at verse 21. Oh, look at verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. So the Bible says there arose no it wasn't a small stir, it was a big stir. You say, why? Look at verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, notice his job, he's a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. This guy's job is to make idolatry. He makes a little Jesus picture. He makes a little Jesus on the crucifix. That's what he did for a living. Brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Notice what he says. Did he make a small gain? No, it was no small gain. This guy was getting rich in Ephesus because he, he made these idols of Diana. Look at verse 25. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Don't you He brings all these craft people together, all these people that make idols. And he said, hey guys, you know that we're rich because we make these idols. You know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, notice what he's saying, he's saying not only in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, that's Paul's pattern, okay, because Paul's not just been doing this in Ephesus, he's been doing this in, in all sorts of cities in Asia, look what this is, verse 26, moreover ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, do you understand what's going on here? These people come together. They make a living selling idolatry. They make a living making little statues of Diana. And they're saying, hey guys, we've got a problem here. Paul, not only in Ephesus, but in all Asia, he's been getting people saved. And not only has he been getting people saved, he's been getting people to change their life. And they've been living, you know, leaving our religion. And they took all those idols and they took all those books and they burnt them, and they're no longer buying from us, and that's how we made our wealth. Love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. You'll be surprised what people do because of money. That's why we don't sell anything at Verity Baptist Church. That's why we don't glorify money at Verity Baptist Church. Look what he says. So that not only, verse 27, so that not only our craft is in danger to be set at naught, so look, our job, is, we're going to lose our job. Can you imagine if we started getting people to quit drinking and bars just started closing in Sacramento? Can you imagine how mad those bar people would be? You see what I'm saying? This is what's going on. 
He said, our, job, our, our craft is in danger to be set at naught. But also, and then they add this, because the little ones were, they're doing it for money, but then he feels like he has to add this. He's like, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be, should, should be despised. You know, they add that on at the end. I mean, for, the, for three verses, he's talking about our wealth, our money, our craft, our finance. But then he's like, well, it's also about Diana, you know. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship it. Verse 28, this is where we started. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. You see how, that, you see how all that happened? Pastor Jimenez, how do we make an impact in this, in this community, in this society, in this culture? Here's how you do it. One Christian develops a pattern of consistency in their life with a purpose and a plan. And maybe just a little bit of the power of God. And you start getting people saved. People start changing their lives. People start getting rid of their sin. People start getting rid of their alcohol. People start getting rid of their pants. People start getting rid of their drugs. People start getting rid of their, uh, their, their books and, their, and, their, and, and all their bad habits. And, and, and you start doing that. And the drug sellers in Sacramento are going to start getting upset. And the alcohol sellers in Sacramento are going to get upset. And Calvin Klein and all these, you know, stores that sell all this, you know, women start stop dressing like like a harlot and a whore and a prostitute and start putting on some modest apparel. And all these little stores where you get all your little tight little pants and short little skirt and you know it comes up tight, it comes up high this way, it goes down low this way, and it's so tight you gotta pour yourself into it. You can barely, I mean, you know, and all these little stores they start closing down because very Baptist Church are getting all these people saying. And before you know it, there's an uproar, there's a riot, people are mad, people are upset. Why? Because lives were not only getting saved, but they were changing. They were getting rid of their sin. They were looking at their lives. Isn't it amazing how these things work out? They were looking at their lives, examining themselves, and saying, you know those books, we should get rid of those books. You know, we really should stop buying those idols. And we're going to start, we're saved now, we're Christians, we're going to start living like it. I don't care what the culture says, I don't care what society says, I don't care what the Ephesians say. And at the end of the whole thing, the whole city's in an uproar, and they're mad because one man, two and a half years later, walked into town, started doing this. Hey, do you know for sure if you died today, would you go to heaven? May I show you? Yeah, you want to get saved? Praise the Lord. Can you, you'd like to come to church? We'd like to teach you the Bible, help you mature in grace, knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And he had a pattern of doing this, pattern of doing this, pattern of doing this, and a whole society changes. You can do that. I can do that. Paul didn't have any more of Jesus Christ and the power of God than you and I can. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for Acts 19. And Lord, I'm encouraged every time I read these stories and I read this Bible just how great it is. And Father, I pray you'd help us to establish a church here and Christians who not just get saved, but actually grow, mature, get rid of sin in their life. And that we start making such an impact in this society that the devil would go, man, I know Verity Baptist Church. I know those Christians down there. I'm kind of scared of them. Because they're charging the gates of hell and our gates cannot prevail against them. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.